Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. Please welcome our host, professional organizer, Sarah Karakayan. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another great episode of Stand Out, the podcast all about growing in the organizing and productivity industry. My name is Sarah Karakayan. I am a professional organizer and also your host. Today is going to be a meaty episode, and I am so excited because it's a top conversation that we haven't had yet on our, our two years in this podcast, but it's relevant to every single one of us. If No matter if you're working with clients because you own your own business, or if you're working for a business doing productivity or organizing, you're going to have clients too. And we all come from, you know, we're all born at different times and we all have different pasts and we have this generational differences that might affect how we approach working with these clients. And so today we have an expert to kind of dive into what this means to us as the professionals sharing our information with these clients and how there are many misunderstandings when it comes to generations and how we can overcome them. So today I have Anna Liotta and she is the best-selling author of Unlocking Generational Codes, a renowned speaker and a recognized expert on generational diversity and inclusion in leadership, sales, and customer service. She has served generational insights from the stage and in the workplace for 25 plus years. As the CEO of Resultants Inc., Anna has worked with hundreds of clients, including Amazon, Microsoft, PGA, MBA, Merrill Lynch, Bloomberg News, and Pike Place Fish to deliver presentations worldwide to thousands of delighted attendees. Being of service is integral to Anna's mission on and off the stage. She has served on 53 nonprofit education and corporate boards. Currently, she serves on the board of the National Speakers Association as treasurer, president of the Board of Governors of the Columbia Tower Club, president of the 40 Under 40 Alumni Association, which I think is so cool, and secretary of the Seafair Board of Directors. Anna lives the philosophy she teaches. She believes when we first seek to understand and respect the experiences, perspectives, and passion driving the generational codes of people, we can create remarkable things in service together. Anna, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. You have an incredible story. And although I, I kind of wanted to give our listeners an understanding of who you are and where you're coming from professionally, I would love for you to share your story of how you got to be so in tune and working in such a, a deep manner with the generations and why it was important to you to do the work that you do. Well, thank you. Coming to understand the generations was something that was kind of a survival instinct, really. I am the youngest girl of 19 children. And I did say 19. Yeah, For those of you amazing. wondering at home, it was, it was a Catholic situation. And I think that if my mother had had her druthers, her choice of what she wanted to do, she would have been a professional organizer. She was pristine in her organization. Anybody could have come over to our house and even with all of those kids, she, you could have eaten off the floor at any given time and you would have opened our cupboards and everything would have been exactly where it needed to be. So I think that this is a community that she would have totally chosen to be part of. Some of you are probably wondering about the story. 
my mom married her high school sweetheart when she was 16. And by the time she was 28 years old, she'd had the first 10 kids. And she was living in Montana at the time. She was 28. Her husband was 30. And they didn't know it, but he had a congenital heart issue and he passed away that year. So she was widowed at 28 with those 10 kids. But a couple years later, she was set up on a blind date with a Sicilian bachelor who was 44 years old and had said he would never marry. But some priests set them up. And the moment he saw her, he fell in love asked her to marry him that night. It took him three months to convince her, but they got married three months later. And a couple of years after that, my sister was born. Then I was born. Then three, then when I was eight years old, my younger brother. But when I was 10, my mom found out she had pancreatic cancer. And the doctors, you know, said it wasn't good. But she told my dad, listen, I don't expect you to live your entire life alone. I know what it's like to lose your life partner. And there's a perfectly wonderful widow right down the road from us. That was her very best friend in the world, Corrine, who had been widowed a number of years and had six kids. And about a year after my mom passed, my dad and that lovely widow were at a church social, started talking, fell in love, and together celebrated 31 years of marriage. So I come from this blended family. And and I, I love to call my bonus mom, my bonus mom, not a stepmom, but I love to call her my bonus mom. And we le- I learned so many things from my family and, and, and had to figure out so many things. But one of the things that I learned as I looked through my organizing factors was we know from knowledge studies that about age seven, our brains start to make logic. And between the ages of 8 to 18, our key formative years as our brain develops, when there's an event and it's paired with an emotion, it creates an imprint. So when we want to understand each generation, we actually need to go to those formative experiences between the ages of 8 to 18 when we're making sense of the world. Not just what happened last year or next year. We need to actually go back to each generation's formative experiences and what I call their generational codes. Those events, those leaders, those icons, those emotions that they experienced in that core time. A couple years ago, I was making a lasagna with my bonus mom for one of our family potlucks. And this generational code, this algorithm that shapes every action, reaction, decision we make was demonstrated that night. I looked over at her and she's now 90 years old. And we had been making lasagna. We took it off to the family dinner. But at the end of the night, when I looked at her, she was wiping down the tinfoil that we had used to cover the lasagna. And I, in that moment, realized at 90 years old, what formative experiences did she have? She had the Great Depression, World War II. In her 8 to 18 time, she'd had formative experiences that still impacted how she interacted with tinfoil today. So when we want to understand our clients when we first meet them, when we want to understand their children, how they see the world, what are their generational codes, that algorithm that runs in the background, we need to look at those formative experiences. And so my whole life, as I sought to understand my clients, as I sought to understand my peers, my parents, the kids, it really begins with 
what happened in those early formative years that shapes the actions and reactions that we're dealing with today? That's so important too. When we're in a lot of us, a lot of the listeners are in people's homes. And if we're mm-hmm. not in their home, we're in their place of business, which I feel is can be just as vulnerable as their place of residence. And so you're already starting with that. So if we can understand where they came from in terms of their formative years more or better, then we can tailor our services to help them get from A to Z, the very reason why they hired us to help them. Maybe, I don't know, maybe quicker, maybe in a more productive manner, maybe something that will last longer. Someone who very much is wiping down a, a tin foil pan, we're going to have to approach differently than someone you know who's much younger, who's used to Pyrex and or takeout, and they're just tossing their takeout pans, and, or they're not, and they're saving them. Exactly. So how can we, if we haven't studied generations during our career, how can we, where can we start to better understand them? And how can we make it digestible so that we can take it with us when we're meeting clients? Well, let's start with when generations begin and end, because everybody's going to want to make sure which generation are they part of. So we'll cover today five generations briefly, of course. Our traditionalists were born between the dates of 1927 to 1945. Our baby boomers were 46 to 64. Gen Xers were born between 65 to 77. And the millennials, who were called Gen Y as a placeholder name, were born between 78 to 1999. And now the globals, now that's the name I've coined for this youngest generation. The placeholder name is Gen Z, next letter in the alphabet. We're born between 2000 to 2016. And of course, we now have a couple years of the youngest, youngest, youngest generation, which the placeholder name is Gen Alpha. You always have a placeholder name when a generation is just being born until they get 50% of their generation into those formative years to eight to 18. And that's when that generational name starts percolating and arising. And I've named the youngest generation, the globals, because this is the first generation that truly looks at every aspect of their life from a global citizen perspective. They worry as much about a young person around the world as they do to the young person that geographically just happens to sit next to them in school. They don't have a separate priority for kids that they've met virtually or digitally than they do for kids that they've met face-to-face. They are very concerned about both. And that's one of the things that comes into understanding our clients right now is how do they relate to parenting? Because that's going to impact the choices they make in their space and particularly in their home, but also it's going to impact the choices they make in their workplace as well. So when we think about our baby boomers with regards to parenting, you might notice when you walk into a home how the priority arrangement of the home is set up. First wave baby boomer parents had Gen X or kids. And they were very focused as young adults on getting established in business. So they kind of underprotected their Gen X or kids. They were the first, Gen Xers were the first generation of latchkey kids where they let themselves in after school, made their own after school snack. Because by the time Gen Xers were 16 years old, about 75% of them were either living in a broken home or they were living in a divorced home or their families were, their friends were living in a broken or divorced home. So that impacts the way Gen Xers are parenting the globals. Gen Xers who are underprotected are now overprotecting 
their kids. Everything about that home will be arranged around the kids and the kids' goals and the kids' priorities, and it will be very protected space. And the millennials coming along, well, they were the second wave of boomer kids, and they were absolutely double down invested. All of a sudden, where the baby boomers neglected the Gen Xers, they became what we know as the helicopter parent of the millennials, and all the resources were being put into the millennials. So there was an abundance philosophy that millennials grew up during. And now as millennials have little kids, they are absolutely continuing that abundance philosophy with their kids. So there's a lot about the space of a home and also the expectations in the workplace that come from that core of the generational codes around parenting. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's yeah, I mean, there's so many things to think about when you're working with people in their in their homes. And I feel like, okay, let me ask you this. When we meet a client for the first time and we're not quite sure what generation they come from, but asking age is maybe a bit of a sensitive subject, what are some good indicators of, of where our clients fit into these generations so that we can then formulate a way that we're going to proceed working with them? So that's a wonderful question. Typically, if you're first meeting someone, there's an easy question, kind of a litmus test that you can ask. You ask the question, do you have kids? Now, if you're talking to a baby boomer, the answer will typically go something like this. You know what? I do. I have two. They're amazing. I mean, they are really the light of my life. They're my inspiration. My daughter, she is writing a screenplay for a movie and she is just, I mean, I think she's going to win Sundance with this. She's so wise. <laughs> she's, she's really my mentor. And my son, well, he's a soccer star. He's just extraordinary. Okay. He's not a star. He sits the bench. But if they knew what a good kid he is, they would play him more. And they'll go on and on and on. And they'll tell you all about their hobbies and their lifestyle and their last vacation and everything. Now, the other side, if you're talking to a Gen Xer, you ask the same question. Do you have kids? The Gen Xer will say, yes, period. They won't tell you everything about their personal and private life and thoughts because you need to earn the right to learn more about them by demonstrating value. So when it comes to meeting our clients, we actually have to listen for the cues. And one of the places it can show up is on the first phone call. What happens if you're talking to a baby boomer versus a Gen Xer client and our millennials in this mix, will also be more forthcoming about their passions and their life. And it's kind of easier to tell millennials because, well, they're fresh and young looking, right? But they also will want to talk a lot more about themselves than a Gen Xer will. So the Gen Xer is the one that's going to cut to the chase, get to the bottom line. And this is how you can hear it in a phone call. At the beginning of the phone call, you'll say, hi, how are you? And you might ask a question like, oh, what part of the country are you in? Or, or how's the weather there? Or, or, you know, oh, it's exciting. It's fall. There's a little bit of the, the weather conversation. But at about a minute and 26 seconds to a minute and 53 seconds, the Gen Xer will say the transition word. So, which means enough of the small talk, let's get some value, (laughs) right? And so you want to be conscious when you're on the phone with a client or when you're in person with a client, you want to listen for the cue. Boomers will spend a lot more time in the schmooze before you actually get to the work because they get related and that's how they build the connection. Gen Xers, 
build the connection by you cutting to the chase, getting the value and demonstrating how and what you would do. And then you get permission to talk more about them. Millennials will share a lot about their passions, about their hobbies, about their the thoughts, their creativity. When you think about millennials as an archetype, they are talent and they express that in their homes and they express that in their life. What are some common generational misunderstandings that we should better understand so that when we have those initial conversations or we're, we're in session number one, two, three with our clients, we can kind of break free of those misunderstandings and get to the core of who they really are. So one that I would say is the boomers ABCs of always be closing. They are always willing to say, I want you to work for the business. I want you to ask for the close. Gen Xers want to have the information, but they already know if they want to work with you, how to say, I want to work with you. They hate the pressure of the always be closing. And Gen Xers just want you to keep your word. So boomers oftentimes will say in a relationship, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's great. That's great. This is all going to be awesome. You know, and they're basically setting up the next meeting or the next conversation when they'll smooth a little farther, smooth a little farther. When you are working with a Gen Xer, you need to keep your word. Because remember, that generation of latchkey kids grew up on a lot of broken promises. And so if you say, I'm going to deliver you a proposal in 24 hours, I'm going to get it to you by noon tomorrow, do not miss your noon time. If you cannot do it, get in communication immediately and say, I promised it would be in by noon, but actually it's going to be one o'clock. You don't understand that broken promise, if you don't make it, sits atop a pile of broken promises. And so Gen Xers start to go, okay, there you go. That I, this is another person I can't trust. The other thing too is that when you're talking to Gen Xers, don't fill the space with yammer. La, 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 la. Because then Gen Xers think, oh no, it's going to be like this the whole time. This person is going to go on and on and on and on and on and on. And they just want to do what they got to do by when they got to do it and then get out. They, you know, like, what do you want? By when do you want it? And leave. And a lot of times the misunderstanding is people think Gen Xers are a little bit abrupt, maybe even cold, or sometimes even a little snarky or cynical. Now, Gen Xers believe a good snarky comment well-delivered is to be very proud of, right? They, they're like, we're happy with you know this, this kind of cutting humor. They're, they're good with that. But don't misunderstand that they're not warm and caring and all of that because they are. They're just being efficient with their time and they're trying to be efficient with yours. If you are a professional who gets paid for your time, they're trying not to waste your time by doing small chat. Now, our millennials, misunderstandings about them is one, a lot of times people think, you know, love to throw around the word millennials are entitled. And that is something that is always thrown on the newest generation. Now people are saying it about the globals. So one of the things that millennials want to be very clear about is they want to make a difference in the world and they want to make a difference in their life. And they are passionate about that. And it's really lazy to think that millennials are entitled because of their big hearts, because of their big desires. But what they deal really well with is structure. What they really need is boundaries and timelines. That's when the 
archetype of the millennial hero archetype is really well served. It's an interesting thing that when you look back generationally, each generation has an archetype to it. And our last hero archetype was our GI gens. And our GI gens are the ones that we've written so many movies about, the incredible integrity and hard work ethic of our GI gens. And millennials are the same archetype. So they want to make a big difference. And one of the ways they want to make a big difference is in how their kids are in the world and how their kids have opportunities. And where that can show up in our space right now is in the parenting aspect and the educational aspect combined. So one of the things that is a really hot spot right now that I don't know that as many people have taken advantage of this is understanding neurodiversity and creating neurodiverse friendly workspaces and home spaces. So both the Gen Xers and the millennials have been very involved in their kids' life and in the educational space and making sure that they have the tools and the environments that support their different neurodiverse brain workings. And that can mean that when we think about working with a client and asking them about their life and their family and their space and how they, what they need from us to make sure that it all works, They might have a child that's somewhere on the spectrum and they might really need to be thinking about how they're organizing their space from the aspect of lighting and color and arrangement and textures and organization from the understanding of the neurodiverse brain. And I would really encourage people that that's one of the things that they could get more aware of and more in tune with is what does it mean to have a neurodiverse, friendly work environment, home environment, or play environment. That was my next question for you too. Before we dive into that, we're going to take a very quick break to hear a message from NAPO. But when we come back, I do want to talk about the challenges of working across generations a little bit in more depth. So we'll be right back. The National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals is proud to offer NAPO University courses in various formats to accommodate different learning styles and further your education when and how you wish. For the entire course catalog, visit napo.net slash education. And to join NAPO, visit napo.net slash join. All right, we are back and I have Anna here and we are talking about generations. She's kind of gone through what each generation's, what their names are, what they're kind of known for, what their misunderstandings have been across society and kind of what, you, what you're what you hearing from your neighbor, your coworker, what have you, and, and why those things probably aren't true. And now I, we're kind of diving into what Anna is calling a neurodiverse home or work environment. And so does that go for, you know, oftentimes will someone in, our, in the family will call us to help them with you know, systems within their home, but the other partner just isn't quite on board. And so they're not really a part of the session or they're just not on board. So we have those scenarios or we have the scenarios where they have a child who may be a millennial, but then a child who's a a global and the parents are just trying to figure out how we, or maybe there's a child in the spectrum, but we also have a child who isn't. What are some ways that we can become diverse in our approach to building out these homes or these offices with the same generational diversity and making them harmonious for everyone? Is that possible? (laughs) Well, 
it is possible, but yes, it can be a little bit complex. It can be a little bit nuanced. The core question is always about the end outcome. What is it that you want this space to do for you? What is the feeling you want this space to have? And it's about helping people understand that if the space is harmony that they want to create, if it's about relaxation or if it's about focus, it's not going to be that the entire space all has to have one feel. It's about creating different spaces within that can accomplish each of those goals. So when you have a diversity of personalities, when you have a diversity of needs and a diversity of how brains work, you need to make sure that each one of those are focused in their intention. And what I think people oftentimes resist is that you're going to force me into your style of relaxation or into your style of focus or into your style of organization. And realizing that if we are explicit about each person's needs and explicit helping people take it from, I just think you implicitly should understand me, to explicitly identifying and helping them visually even see it, how it plays out, that's going to have them more interested in the conversation. And one of the things, I don't even think you know this about me, but years and years ago, I used to do a lot of space consultation. And for a number of years, I used feng shui in the space consultation as well. And so when I would go into a residential space, I would sit down and for the first hour, I would just listen. I would ask them questions about their life, about their goals, about each area of their home, and just listen and listen and listen and listen. And that's when people found that by the end of it, they'd express things they didn't even know they wanted or frustrations they didn't even know they had. And then we began the conversation as we moved around their home about the intention of each area. And sometimes they realized they didn't even know what the intention or focus of that area was. It had just kind of fallen together, but not in the good way. So as we began to talk about their goals for their kids, for their life, for their family, for their space, what started to arise is the space between the different parts of the home and how they could actually create clarity between them. And so if they needed to have, you know, a quiet area for a member of the family that needed quiet space so that they could organize themselves, if they needed softer lighting or, or an area that had more textures to it, we could begin to help them with those choices. And the organization of it, instead of being a hard and linear process, became more of a flow and intention process. I love starting with the end and then designing your your sessions with your clients moving forward with that in mind. And would you recommend, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but to keep that intention of where we want to end up at the forefront of every time you walk into that person's home to remind everyone of this is what this is what we're working towards and this is how we're going to get there. Or is it more of an organic or does it depend on the generation that you're dealing with? See, this is something that every generation has in common. What I call it is their because. We all want to be part of a cause that's worth giving our life to. And that can be in our work environment. That can be in our home environment. So I really interview them to find out what is the cause 
that's worth giving your full being to in your home. And if it's harmony, if it's laughter, if it's organization, all of those things in that original interview, they're because, why did they invite me here? They invited me because there was something that got them on the phone. There was something that got them to email me in my office. And in that first interview, we get it down. And then every time we come back, we go back to the because. We're here because. We're working mm. on this because. And when they get that because and they keep it front forward, it helps them through those bumpy spots. Because you will start to stir up some things. When you start organizing people's spaces, everything they touch has a memory to it. Everything they touch has a choice that they made. And there's a lot of energy that goes with that. And it's I always come to it with compassion because we're really helping them transform themselves through the process of organizing, through the process of bringing things in a different order. And so as long as we keep their because in the forefront, it helps them through some of the bumpier pots. What generational changes are coming and how do we prepare for these changes? So some of the generational changes that are we're in the midst of already is that the youth voice is way more influential on the adult voice than ever before. It started with the millennials. The millennials were encouraged to call their elders by their first name because baby boomers mm. didn't like to feel old. Baby boomers grew up with the mantra, never trust anyone over 30. So as far as baby boomers are concerned, they're still all about 29 in their hearts of hearts. And they really <laughs> don't like this whole over 50 thing. That's, that's what, they didn't sign up for that. They didn't like it. They certainly don't like the over 60. But what happened is that created a millennial generation that is very empowered and vocal. Now, it goes to a whole nother level with the globals, the Gen Zs, because they've always had the agency and the lived experience be a priority in schools and in their life. So one of the major trends in every organization and every home is that the kids have a co-equal voice in choices. And that comes down to the space. It comes down to the vacations. It comes down to how the family spends its money. So while the parents still may be writing the check, the child is invited into the conversation about their space, about their life, about their choices. And that is a trend that is not going away. You know, I you even saying that, and I'm thinking about the clients that I'm currently working with. We're doing, you know, some redesigning of a young man who's, he's eight years old and he is at every single meeting that we have with the parents. Mm -hmm. And he makes every decision on what, you know, what shelving we're getting, what paint color we're using everything he is involved in we're and we're asking him what what he would like to see happen and it's so interesting now the, the space that's actually coming together and he's actually very proud of it and and loves being involved I don't know if that's specific to to him or if that's because of everything else that his parents ask him to become involved in in their day-to-day -day practice as a family so it's just that's very a perfect interesting. example it is not specific to him think about the visual world that they've grown up in they have always had pinterest boards so right. they regularly interact with interact with visuals right they're pin 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 and their parents say how does this make you feel you know it started with our millennials but it's more prominent with the globals that the parents are using emotional language for both boys and girls we know that in studies it used 
used to be that girls were encouraged to use emotional language and boys were encouraged not to, right? You know, don't cry, da, da, da. But now we're really giving our young boys much more bandwidth, a much larger palette of language and space and feelings. And so when it comes to designing space, boys have been encouraged to understand it and integrate with it and interact with it. And parents have always said, you know, texted back and forth, you know, here's an image. What do you think of this? Back and forth, all of these decisions have gone on. And so you're going to see that more and more that the children are co-equal in the decision-making. How much does gender play a role in each generation? I'm glad you asked. Gender fluidity is the new reality. So whether you are a gender neutral parent, which means you have decided that you are from the beginning going to be very gender neutral in your language, all the way to the point of, you know, there's a new trend and it's not a big one right now, but parents waiting to assign gender to their child because gender neutrality can be how you decide gender. Is it by how the person looks, what they wear on the inside, what they wear on the outside? But what it shows up in design is that the globals are all about gender neutral clothing and spaces. So you do not default to pink and blue. That's where they're saying, no, green and yellow are the colors until a gender has been assigned or a gender has been identified. It's very important to the globals that you let them choose their pronouns and that they get to identify their pronouns. So when it comes to school or maybe let's say going to camp, you will arrive and the name tanks will have a space for my pronouns today are. I was just at a conference this summer and there were stickers that when you checked into registration, you got to choose your pronouns off the stickers and put them on your name tag and identify. So this means in spaces that we wouldn't pre-decorate a baby room for mm-hmm. a specific color if somebody's choosing to do gender neutral parenting. And so this is now an entire concept that organizations and spaces have to include because it's no longer a nice thing to have for the globals and for the millennials too. It's a must. You must respect my gender fluidity or my gender identity. Now, if an organizer or productivity specialist is a baby boomer or older, what advice do you have for them working with families who are introducing gender neutrality or anything else that's kind of outside of what they understand to be normal and introducing this into this new normal so that they can still have that great relationship with those different generations? And is it really just maybe understanding generations more and just being on top of what's happening and the changes that are coming? Or what would you say to those people? So I would say common sense is not common. See, common sense is based on the fact that you and I share the same formative experiences. And I'm referencing those when I'm talking to you. What you have to understand is we don't all share the same formative experiences around our choices. And so we have to be far more explicit than implicit about what we are doing. So that means start with asking more questions. As a baby boomer, yes, you need to immerse yourself in these different spaces. For instance, when you walk into someone's home, don't assume the pronouns of the people in that home. It can be a question. What pronouns does your home use? 
and what pronouns does each person in your home use? And does that affect how you want to make decisions in the space? So it's being explicit and starting from the inquiry, never assuming that you absolutely know. Now, if you're walking into a traditionalist's home, you know, somebody that's born before 1945, you probably can guess that they're going to use him, hers. They're going to be binary. But if you're walking into a baby boomer's home and they're decorating for their grandbabies, they might be more savvy that their grandbaby or their grandchild is more gender neutral or wants to be gender neutral. So Gen Xers in their own identity right now probably initially were binary, but there are a lot of Gen Xers that have raised their children gender neutral. And so they're actually becoming more neutral in their home expression. So it's something to ask about. Don't assume. So much to think about. What are two sticky notes you can leave with our listeners that are action driven, that they can implement into their business today, this week to better understand our clients or our future clients? So the first sticky note is look at your interview that you start with. Now, I'm assuming most folks have either a rhythm to their questions or they actually have a whole series of questions that are written out on a a sheet. So when you look at your questions, look at how much of it is authoritative that you say this is or we will or it and you come from you are the authority and how much of it is open-ended that allows them to share their current and lived experience? How much of it does it allow them to express what is their intention, what is their focus, what is their goal? And how much do you demonstrate your openness to where they are in their family, in their life, in their space, in their progression? I would encourage everybody to look at it and to make sure that you're trending towards the because that is important to that family. Number two, I would say it's really important for you to look at your own physical website and your own materials to look and see how much you're leaking your generational code through the way that you're describing your services. Are you describing your services in a way that is long, 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 long form, lots of stories, lots of background, or are you describing your services in a way that cuts to the chase, gets to the bottom line, and says exactly what you're going to do? Now, this isn't an either or. Baby boomers love the long form story and the lots of pros. Gen Xers want you to cut to the chase, get to the bottom line about your services. And millennials are going to want it to look very Pinterest-esque. They're going to want a lot of space and a lot of color and a lot of visuals that show them inside your space. And so looking at each of the different generations, look at how their generational code is honored in your marketing materials and see if you're appealing to all the generations just in the way you frame your opportunity. So many great things to think about. And that is something we can do this week. Put it on your schedule for I'm going to hit this on Monday. Look at your questionnaire. Look at your website. Anna, thank you so much. Where can our listeners find out more about you and stay connected with you? They can find out more about me at analayata.com. That's A-N-N-A-L-I-O-T-T-A.com. Or they can connect with me on social media at Analayata. 
thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise with us. I know it's going to help all of our listeners reframe the way they approach their clients or their potential clients. Listeners, I thank you again for joining me here today and learning with me. If you like this podcast, we always love you to leave those reviews so that we know that we're doing a good job and serving you well. We want to reach as many organizing and productivity professionals as possible. So in addition to subscribing and leaving us that review, please feel free to share this and every episode with your colleagues, your team, and whoever else might benefit. I look forward to hanging out with you next time and I'll talk to you then. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.